It all started with a very simple idea. Tell the stories of how successful middle market CEOs made it to the corner office. I'm Brand Handley, founder and managing director of Resource Options International, or ROI. We're the USA's premier executive search firm focused exclusively on empowering middle market companies to attract, hire, and retain A players while transforming top executives' careers and lives. ROI's Into the Corner office is dedicated to discovering how middle market CEOs advance their career, and we're making these remarkable and sometimes quite unbelievable stories available to you for the very first time. Listen and learn about the challenges they've overcome, the interesting people they've met along the way, and the lessons learned that steered these executives' unique journey into a middle market corner office of their own. I know you enjoy these CEO stories as much as I've enjoyed recording them. So thank you for listening today. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm looking forward to you joining me on the next great middle market CEO adventure into the corner office. Today, my guest is Cameron Gunter, founder and CEO of Peg Companies. Peg Companies is a full-service commercial real estate investment firm known for its unique approach to creating value. A bold leader, Cam has widespread reputation for successfully guiding his teams through challenging endeavors that many others in the commercial real estate space have shied away from. Cameron's farm-raised work ethic, outside-the-box thinking, commitment to absolute transparency, and past professional experience have helped him to lead Peg to where it is today. A CPA by training with over eight years mastering the entitlement process in city management, Cameron brings a perspective that helps PEG offer compelling investment opportunities through innovative and cost-effective solutions to the complexities of real estate markets today. With dozens of projects completed and many others underway, Cameron is proud of the market-leading position PEG has secured in its nearly 20 years of operation. He rises to every occasion and finds great fulfillment in spurring economic growth for communities everywhere. Cameron received his Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration from Idaho State University. Cameron Gunter, welcome into the corner office. Yeah, thank you. Happy to, to be here. Great to have you here. And we spoke about a few weeks or so ago after I'd had a chance to get to know Peg Companies a little bit and was was very much intrigued by your story. And, uh, you know, we'd like to kind of start where all stories begin, and that's the beginning. And uh, tell us a little bit about, you know, your early family life. I know you grew up on a farm, but, you know, tell us about mom and dad, brothers and sisters, and what those early days were like. Yeah, as you, as you said, I grew up on a farm in small town Idaho with... Five brothers and a sister. Wow, big farm family. Yeah, we we were, and we. My dad was actually just a farmhand. He didn't. He didn't. We didn't own the farm. We were. Right. We were. He was there to work, and he put the rest of us to work with him. And um, my granddad also had a farm, so we got to go back and forth between a dairy farm and a dry farm, uh-huh. working. And I was the second to the oldest, so the oldest and I kind of did most of the work i imagine kind of paved the way for all the young (laughs) uh, troops and so it was look it was a great upbringing we worked um hard through our lives and learned how to uh, to really work um i played sports in high school and so it would be as you know a dairy farm doesn't stop and so we would you know four thirty five o'clock in the morning and in the summertime, we'd move sprinkler pipe uh, in our hay fields, and 
other times we'd get up and feed the calves and take care of the, the cows in the barn and then go to school. True family business. And, and mom was involved in that as well. I mean, she had quite a few youngins to raise, but uh, everybody chips in, right? Yeah. Mom was the, the, the wife and mother and taking care of everything at the house, and, <laughs> which, you know, having uh, five kids, I have twin brothers, but we had five kids under the age of five. And so wow. I think she was pulling her hair out every which way she could. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Well, thank and, goodness most of them were boys. So, uh, right. <laughs> yeah. Dad was able to get them all to work. Were, were you and your old brother kind of like crew bosses? Did you guys, you know, divide and conquer or was it zone defense? How did you kind of organize the troops, so to speak? Do you know what? I think uh, we, it was pretty easy because everybody yeah. just, they learned how to work and they did their own things. And for fairly responsible. I had my youngest brother is like 17, 17 years younger. And so he was, we really didn't get much uh, time with him. He's also albino, which is an interesting um, dynamic. He also is currently on the U S Paralympic track team. So at age 36, he's still trying to still going at it, but he's legally blind. And so it's been, we didn't get much time working with him, but the other five of us, you know, we were all just working together and we we're the best of friends and the worst enemies at times. <laughs> I can imagine. And and was your local school nearby? Did you have to travel far for that? Was it the, you know, kind of the age old, you know, schoolhouse with multiple grades in one classroom? Tell us a little bit about that experience. Yeah. So the, our school, our elementary was in a, in a town about two miles away. So not too far, um, and then our junior high and high school were a combination of about six communities, small little communities. Wow. And, and we were actually f- fairly close to those. Um, so we were only a mile away from oh. from our junior high high school. And so, so it was that wasn't, school, yeah. Yeah. yeah, well, yeah. we didn't quite walk, but yeah. you know, in, in Idaho, when I grew up, 14 years old, you could get a driver's license. So oh, it's right. not, <laughs> <laughs> you, and we were driving tractors at 10. So right, right. Um, we could, we could get ourselves around pretty well. You got so. around. That's awesome. And, uh, you mentioned sports in school. What sports did you pursue? So because it was a small town, I, I ended up doing you know, basketball, football, track. I even boxed, you know, as small as nice. the school was, I even did some boxing. And then I actually, after you know, my football was my, uh, the sport I probably did well basketball I did well too but yeah. I was small for a basketball player but I ended up right. playing football in in college so um, I kept going a little ways to to further my career the, the yeah. interesting thing is if in my family my parents brothers and sisters um, nobody had gone to college right um, wow yeah. and so some had been in the military and different things but i was the first one first one in, yeah in my family not just my immediate family my aunts and uncles that had, had gone to college or that that even graduated from college since then i've had brothers and yeah. uh, siblings and others and even aunts and uncles go to college and graduate so it was yeah. 
a much different situation growing up in the farm because that just wasn't what people did. I know, right, um, right. It was kind of more the legacy of the farm. <laughs> Thinking back to some of those early lessons from from mom and dad, uh, Cameron, what, what were some of the things that you remember growing up that, uh, you know, kind of impressed you the most, but also you know, kind of set you on your way for your career? And we'll, we'll talk about take companies in a minute. Yeah, I think for the most part, and you hear this a little bit, the farm life is a is a fairly simple life, even though it's complicated to raise crops and do some of the things and rely on Mother Nature, not knowing what's going to happen the next day with uh, cows or whatever there is. One thing Mother. that yeah. that I that I learned one is you know we were a, a, a Christian family and right. the the church was important to us or the the, the spiritual side was important to our family but it was just that it was that simple life and mm. you're going to be able to you're going to have stuff come your way uh, just buckle down and deal, deal with, with it, it. And somebody's <laughs> going to be able to help you figure things out yeah. And, yeah and that's the way it was you know and, and I've, I've seen that in my career through the rest of my life whether we had yeah. challenges in college whether i've had challenges with my family from a health problems or whatever it is you're just there's one we believe in a you know a higher being that's there to help us and, yeah. and we can get through it with family and um perseverance so it's not a lot to worry about good. you got a place yeah. to go with those worries when they come yeah that's right yeah yeah love that and uh idaho state you'd mentioned football did you go there on a football scholarship or were you a walk on you know i actually Got a uh, scholarship at a school in Southern Utah, ah. uh, but uh, this I'll have to I'll have to confess I'm not very smart. I was a what they call a Prop 48 athlete, so I didn't get a high enough score on my ACT to play Division One football. Right. So I had to go to a junior college um, in Southern Utah called Dixie uh, Dixie College. So I played a year there and then transferred to. The school I had the scholarship to, which is Southern Utah University. Okay, got it. And then ended up, I didn't end up playing all four years. Right. I got married, right. and I think life changes when you find the one you love, and right. you're going you're gonna to move on. So once we did that, I ended up um, transferring to Idaho State. My wife was a uh, going into, at the time, was going to go to pharmacy, and they had a good pharmacy program, okay. but she ended up changing her major and became a dental hygienist. She got oh a bachelor's degree in dental yeah. hygiene. So now was she from your hometown or, or did you meet at university? No, we met at university. So yeah. she was from uh, a small town in Utah. And so we, we met down there. She was actually a cheerleader. So <laughs> well, there's, there's a natural <laughs> you know, affinity there. <laughs> you know, the storybook. <laughs> Football um, players and cheerleaders. Right. <laughs> Love it. Love it. So, uh, Great, terrific, and and uh, you know you you you've obviously made a major shift in your career, and as I said, we'll talk about your real estate portfolio and all the great things you've done at Pig. But when did you kind of have that awakening? I mean, was there was there jobs that you had in college that were non farm related? It sounds like you, you. I'm sure the summers you went home, you still went there and helped out, and if you lived at home, you were expected to do so. W when did you begin thinking about going in a direction other than farming? Yeah, the, the interesting thing, and I don't know how it all came about, even in high school, I had a desire to be an accountant, believe it or not. Oh, okay. um, so I started 
college with that in mind is to get an accounting degree. And I ended up finishing with my accounting degree and took the CPA and went and worked um, um, just at a college as a CPA um, in the tax in the tax space. I did not like the audit space. Right, right. Um, so I worked in the tax space. And huh. uh, one thing I did realize doing that is I'm not a guy that likes to sit at a desk. And <laughs> right. That, right. That's, that's not the right space. But I, I, It was probably ingrained for the first 17, 18 years <laughs> of your life, right? <laughs> yeah. It, but I will tell you, it's probably the best degree for – well, for me or anybody that's going into business to have just because it is that language yeah. of business. And so yeah, exactly. it really propelled uh, some of my career uh, from a CPA firm. I actually went to become, which is it, which is interesting um, path, but I became a finance director for a city. Um, oh, right. So, so, so you went to, a, so upon graduating, you got, you got an accounting degree or a business degree. And then did you go to work for a, like a tier two or tier three regional accounting firm? Is that, yeah. is that your first job? So, so yeah. You, I went to work for a regional firm and then and doing tax work for them. Um, for doing tax work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I did some compilation, obviously you do whatever you do. Never did any audits. Um, maybe a few reviews, but then from, from there, I, took an opportunity to be a finance director in the city of Lehigh when, you know, Micron Technology was looking to build a new facility in several different cities. And I got thrown into helping the small town of Lehigh try to figure out how to provide some tax incentives for them. And, um, Ended up and, that's, and that's Lehigh, Idaho, or Lehigh, Utah? Lehigh, Utah. Utah, Lehigh, right, Utah. Right. So it's right in between yeah. Provo yeah. and Salt Lake City. Yeah, cool. Um, so I ended up getting thrown into that mix because the city I was at really didn't have a lot of professionals. Right. And so and I understood enough about some of the, the tax laws. And um, I took a lot of government accounting in, in college, so I understood that. And had a great mentor in the from the attorney who really drafted the law on creating tax increment in the state of Utah. And so they made me the executive director of that uh, facility, cool. or not that facility, but for the city for the as city, a liaison yeah. to that facility. And they, and from there, um, became a city administrator at another city, and then became a city manager. Wow! wow. So overall, about eight years. You yeah, know, the interesting yeah. thing is, um, to talk about baptism by fire. I was, <laughs> I was twenty four years old, um, and got thrown into that. Um, executive director of the large, second largest tax incentive deal in the United States. Wow. Wow. And that was Micron Technology. They were, they were yeah. coming in to invest in the area. Wow. Yeah. And so they, wow. we did a $125 million tax incentive deal through uh, property taxes and other types of uh, taxes for their benefit for them to locate here in, right. in Lehigh, Utah. So um, like I say, baptism by fire, I got had a great mentor, <laughs> that that helped me understand it better and it kind of sprung my career into being a city administrator in yeah. another city um, and then eventually becoming a city manager at a different city in southern Utah um, before really launching to a different career in yeah. construction and real estate. 
Well, tell us a little bit about those the, that that period of time in, in public administration. Again, very different pivot from from your farming upbringing, but I suppose there are some similarities. You know, with your five kids and brothers and mom and dad. You know, there there had to be a way of doing things, as you said, best of friends and best of enemies. Did did you find that there was anything that you could, you know, kind of parlay from your farm life upbringing into into city government or was it just a totally different experience you had to learn from scratch no it it did i mean obviously you know with cities they take care of the roads and they have utilities and a lot of those things because i had been out working and um i didn't grow up behind a desk or in not in construction i understood enough about that and because i you know, understood how to deal with some of the hard things in life uh, from being on the farm. I mean, you really have to deal with Mother Nature going <laughs> right. up on a farm yeah. because you don't you yeah. don't know. I'll tell you, I remember a, a time when I was young that in Idaho it snowed so much early that we weren't able to get our crops in, our wheat and mm. barley in, and we had to figure out how to uh, get it in that year we lost all our money and so yeah. you you deal with things that are out of your control yeah and you have some of that same stuff uh, <laughs> in politics in, <laughs> in yeah in, in politics <laughs> that's interesting yeah i can see the analogy wow so and then yeah. with us running the city i was at we had our own power department and our own our, new, our own utility stuff and so, right. so a lot of that was it helped me, I think, to have the diversity. Um, it wasn't that I just had gone uh, to school to be in public administration, right. that I had right. some of the experience doing different things and configure, could figure things out. Uh, you know, when, when I grew up on the farm, it was, look, if something broke, you got to go fix, you you gotta fix, fix it. it. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Self, you don't, self, self-supporting, yeah. Yeah, you don't, yeah. you can't just call the maintenance guy in and say, hey, come fix this thing. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Especially if you, especially if you want to go out on the town. Yeah. You got to do it exactly. yourself. <laughs> exactly. I love it. So eight years in, in public administration. And then is that when you made the, the pivot to, to, to real estate? And tell us a little bit about how that came about. Yeah, so I, I made the pivot and went to work as a business development guy for a construction, co- a commercial okay. contractor yeah. um, who was building office buildings and real estate and like retail buildings and some apartments. And had he been dealing with the city that you had uh, been based in at the time or was it a totally different relationship? No, a totally different relationship. Yeah. I can't yeah. even remember how I got to, to meet yeah. him if, if there was a job posting or something. Right. Right. Um, but anyway, most of the things I was doing for the contractor was helping developers and cities navigate through mm. through city stuff, and in, in some cases, helping them with some tax incentives. And so, sure, sure. I so did a couple of projects. That experience, huh? yeah. yeah, for the for him to get the construction job, and you know, I started doing that, and finally realized that look, we can I can go do some of this stuff because I'm doing everything for the, the, the client. So, and I've got a, I felt like a great background to do, to be in the real estate space, right. being a, a tax yeah. guy, understanding accounting. Right. Yeah. Big incentives. Yeah. Having gone through city, I understand, understanding completely the city entitlement processes and how cities work. Sure. And so, and then being involved with construction, I felt like, you know, we're, I've got a lot of this, um, 
experience that we can go and, and be successful as a real estate company. And so in 2002, at the end of 2002, we started and went and bought a project or a piece of property and started developing it. Uh, before that, I was doing a little bit of consulting as a, as a side deal. Um, but the guy that owned the construction company and I started, we were 50-50 partners in January of 2003, formed the company called PEG. Um, it was called PEG Development at the time. And right, it was right. three initials yeah. uh, of us. And we went and started doing that, that project. And as we grew, um, I think in 2005, uh, that partner that was my original partner got called to be a, uh, um, a president of, of a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And mm-hmm. so they sent him out for three years to go um, run a mission home out in, a, in another city. And so right. he asked me if yeah, I'd yeah, buy him out. Of, yeah, 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 I asked right. him if I'd buy him out of the company. And so um, I bought him out. Uh, once again, that was a, a challenging part of life. We were sure. pregnant with, a, oh gosh, I think it was our fourth child at the time. And it was a tough pregnancy. We have five children (laughs) and I I have twins. Our first children were twins. (laughs) It runs in the family. Uh, (laughs) So they were our first. So we we didn't, once again, baptism by fire. We didn't have any kids. All of a sudden we get two. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Talk about exponential growth. Wow. So, so, so another, uh, another kid coming away and all of a sudden there's this opportunity to buy it out. Were you able to do that amicably and, and, you know, productively for, the, for both partners? Yeah, it was a challenge just because yeah. it was hard to figure out the, the valuation, valuation of it. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, he had, he had kids that were a little bit in the business too. And he thought about, well, maybe I'll split the assets and I'll take some of these assets and we'll go have our, my kids be the, um, a development Running company, that. and yeah, right, right. and I, I didn't want, you know, that wasn't my first choice, and so right. it ended up working out that we um, got it resolved, and I took the the employees that we had had that I'd hired on, and one of them's still with me today. He's our COO, yeah. Yeah, cool. who's um, a great fit for for me and our company. So, and then you eventually we, bought out the other partner as well. Is that correct? Yeah. So yeah. I just had, there was just two of us. We had three initials, okay. but it. there was, one of them was his wife's um, oh, maiden name. So, right, right, right. so I bought him out in 05 and then I continued to grow the company for the next couple of years. And just, we, we were seeing a lot of growth and we had a lot of capital needs internally for a company wise. And so I ended up going and, and selling a piece of the company Forty uh, percent of the company to one of our investors invested okay. in some stuff with us. So, right. um, and then since then, I've brought in another partner, um, and then some of the employees also have some ownership. So, yeah. cool. there's three major partners um, with me. I'm the majority, and um, got two other passive partners that have been of huge support. One of them has been a a great mentor to me because um, I this wasn't something. I grew up doing so. Yeah, right, 
Right. Yeah, I understand. So, so fast forward uh, today, uh, and I mentioned this in your introduction, you, you've got uh, quite a bit under ownership and management. Just give us a little bit of a, a broad spectrum of, uh, you know, how big the company is today, employee wise, and, you know, your, your assets under ownership and management. Yeah. So in the corporate office, we are around 135 employees with, right. uh, with accounting and uh, management uh, development people, construction folks. Um, and then out in the, um, out in the field, I'm going to call it, or out at our properties, we probably have another 1100. So, um, if we shifted a few years ago to where we didn't just real invest in the real estate and and develop the real estate, we wanted to control the whole process. Mm. So we, um, put management companies in place, from for our apartment management and some of our office buildings we manage internally and then all of our hospitality assets we manage um ourselves so that's really where a majority of the employees sit is in the hospitality space and we have 40 something hotels that, that we manage um and own. Do, you, do you own any of those as well or are they all yeah so i we're we have probably Seven, seven of those hospitality projects or hotels are not owned by us. The rest right. are owned by our uh, um, our investment funds, uh, which we control, uh, which we have investments in as well. So, um, the seven that we they manage third party are um, are really the ones that we just we got through relationships. But yeah, our sure. our real goal is to try to drive the a, a better return and a better experience for well one a better return for our investors and a better experience for our, our guests and our tenants yeah. and our residents that are are our properties and we feel like if we control that management side of it on the hospitality and the multifamily we can deliver on both of those so awesome how, and how many multifamily units we have around it's We've opened a few, but we're over five thousand multifamily units. So we're and those are all owned. Those are all owned by you, or do you also manage some of those as well? Or uh, every, all of our multifamily are owned by oh. have some ownership by us, or we're managing yeah. the investment as well. So right, right. Um, fantastic. So about two three billion dollars uh, under. Yeah, I, I think we're just under two billion. Just under two, I think it's yeah. like one point eight billion in asset yeah. value that we manage. And so it's, it's been good. We continue to grow. We've had obviously in hospitality space, we had our challenges through right. the Particularly pandemic. Through COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, and right. the benefit we had honestly to have, have us manage ourselves is we shifted, we could shift fairly quickly and not rely on third party to make the adjustments that needed to be made. Right. Right. And uh, did you have to furlough a lot of folks during uh, COVID? Did you were you able to keep your properties open? You know, how did that impact you? And were you are you national as well in the hospitality pro- properties, or are they mostly in Idaho and Utah? Yeah, we're national. Um, I think we're in oh, just under thirty states. I can't. Cool. We've sold a few assets off, and then we have a a couple projects in Canada as well. Right. But yeah, we've had to, in the hospitality space, unfortunately, we did have to um, reduce staff um, during the pandemic. And um, the tough thing was there, not as as those that you had to to lay off or the ones that were not the, that were 
the lower income yes, levels. Right, and right, so they exactly. were the ones that struggled. Yeah. And yeah. It, it was tough to get a bunch of them back. And we still have right. some challenges to get uh, people back in our, in our hotels as, um, as employees. And, yeah. Yeah. and we'll continue to, to try to be efficient and, and get folks back. Hindsight, it was probably, um, I don't know, it, we probably reduced force a little too much. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But you just never know. It, it's it's so hard to to know. I, and I had to do the same in our corporate office. And I think that's the thing that, that hurt me the more, most as we've continued to see growth in the company and be able to handle some of, of yep. what we're doing is maybe reduce reduced staff a little bit too much. And it wasn't a lot in the, in the corporate company, but it was still enough that to, to start back up again and, right. and deal with what we're dealing with was um, more difficult because we shifted and, and um, started investing into different things in the real estate space that uh, were there opportunities that we felt like were um, a good investment for our investors and us. Right. Right. On the hospitality space, as you came back, did you organize a little differently and look at ways in which to maybe, you know, structure, you know, some of the mid-level staff in a a little bit of different uh, uh, way? Or have you pretty much just been trying to hire back position by position? Yeah, we, that that is nice. Uh, Like you said, is not nice. It's just something we dealt with, but we were able to restructure things and and try to create some better efficiencies. Um, And then um, our housekeeping, we shifted kind of our program a little bit to do some, some more piecemeal because let some of these people make more money. Um, And so it it was, it was good for us to look at different methods of how, how we do things and try to reward our team members that are there and that we're able to stay and to have some come back that we can, uh, pay more without, you know, we're finally starting to see rates come back in the hotel space, which is good. And we're, I think we're over in most of our properties over 2019 rates, which is good. Yeah. Yeah, Um, It takes a while to get back. But we also have a lot more wage and we're paying a lot more in all of our costs, um, for our people. So we needed that rate to get, um, higher and, you know, inflation's right cause this issues across the board. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, that restructuring's uh, uh, a real interesting approach. One of our clients actually was a, a, a previous uh, CEO guest on our show and became a client in the hospitality space in, in, in Kentucky. And, you know, they had multiple hotels and they also had duplicating units on sales and event planning and so forth. And when they just, you know, had to let everybody go and when they brought people back, they said, you know, there's a better mousetrap here. And they did kind of more area jobs, right? Since the properties were all close together. And, you know, one of the benefits was, of course, they didn't have to staff up as much, but it gave them actually a lot more flexibility and uh, a lot more motivation to the sales event people because they had more product to work with. Right. Rather than just right. being stuck with their own hotel. So, you know, I've seen some real creative things that have the pandemic, you know, as as harsh as it's been, it has allowed people to think a lot differently about how to how to structure the organization. Yeah. Well, uh, look, we looked at it, too. I mean, this before the pandemic hit, we started buying some older hotels, some older extended mm-hmm. stay hotels to try to deal with some of the um, affordable housing issues yeah, and, yeah. and affordability in the housing market and 
during the pandemic, we were, um, because we had started that, we saw opportunities in the hospitality space to go buy some of these extended stay properties that were had already lost their brands or were losing right. the brand. And we started converting them to class B workforce or housing, class B housing that was affordable in a lot of these markets. And we've had a lot of success in that space. And so some of our, some of the people we had in the hospitality space, we've converted into that, into that arena. And now you don't have as many people when you convert to apartments, right? right. Property, but um, we're able to, uh, to do that well. And, um, we move forward yeah. Yeah, being yeah. nimble and <laughs> as you said earlier you got to deal with mother nature and if yeah. the pandemic's taught us anything <laughs> it's just out of our control and well i'm sure a lot of those things you learned early on you know has allowed you to be flexible and and of course uh, you know being able to pivot quickly when these types of things happen tell us a little bit about how your leadership you know style has changed i mean you've gone from obviously you know working for a uh, you know, a, a small tier two, tier three, you know, accounting firm, you, you went into, you know, state administration or city administration and, and you know, government and now running a, a fairly large and you know, almost $2 billion valued, you know, company. Um, what would you say are kind of the two or three key things that you do differently now in terms of leadership that, that you weren't doing, you know, all those years ago? Yeah, it's, I'm still learning, uh, to be honest, as That's you said, <laughs> it's been um, different uh, parts of my career have been different leadership skills. And obviously, in the city administration, you've got a established um, cities that have their processes that you're, you're just trying to, to make better. And you've got the a different public um, employee, um, and they have some protections. And so, it's going from, you know, just working really by yourself in the accounting space, mm-hmm. going to the, the cities that are far more structured. They've been around forever right, right. Um, where they have processes you're just trying to improve. Then going to the startup company as we continue to grow, uh, it's it's different because you're trying to build now from even when we were, were beginning, we were doing a lot of the work. And as we continue right. to grow and scale, it, there's just not that ability to, to do everything we did before. Right. And yeah. so it's Everyone critical knows. to really tra- uh, be a leader of the, um, of our staff that's coming up and trying to uh, do the things that we did. And I say, we, I'm talking about our executive staff right. and, and right. my CEO has been with me trying to convey that information over. And it, it's interesting as I've grown older and, been through this from when I was young, that young 25-year-old city administrator trying to figure things out um, to now where I'm over 50 and trying to figure things out. I am so grateful that I have the experience and the knowledge to be able to make some of these decisions that that when you have these young employees come in, the young team members come in and they're, they're overzealous and they, they have this huge <laughs> desire to, to make an impact. Yeah. To make an impact. And they're working hard to do that. And then you're just trying to help them learn <laughs> right. the, the, what you knew and what you, what yeah. you've been through. And yeah. they're brilliant uh, folks um, learned a lot more than I did and a lot smarter. I think that, that what I try to do is, um, which, which I tried to do myself is, 
is to teach them and have them understand and think through big picture and then mm-hmm. drive into the detail and try to help them along. And, and what I struggle with a lot of times is I'll step in and try to do versus teach. I mean, right. I, it, yeah. It, yeah. that's always yeah. the hardest thing to do. Right. Because right. you One, see it so much clearly. And, and yeah. yet when you do it, then it, you take away the incentive for them to learn and the opportunity for them to do. Something. Yeah. And, yeah. And so it's been, you know, that's, that's been a challenge for me, but I think right. we've, we're continuing to see some success there that, you know, failure's um, part of life. And I think that's super important yeah. for, for our people um, to fail a little bit. Now we're there to catch them. I, you know, I watched that, uh, what's the American Ninja Warrior and somebody's <laughs> climbing up a, a wall or, or I don't know what that thing they have. And there's this little platform below them that's about 10 feet below them. And I, I want to be that platform. So if right. they, if they right. fail, they're not going to fall all the way to the bottom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they can fall a little ways and learn. It's not going to affect the company. And then we yeah. have a teaching moment for them to understand. Like Look, here's, here's a better way to do that. And we learn from that too, or I learn from right. that too. And I, and I ask my executives also to learn from. Look, there's there's a lot of different ways to build the mousetrap, as you said earlier. And let's let's not. Um, be stuck in one yeah, way to do one things. Way to do it. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. How would you best describe uh, the Peg Company's culture? And in in second question, how do you disseminate that? You know, you've got a lot of employees that are spread out all over the country. Tell us a little bit about your company culture and and, and how you keep that alive for everybody. Yeah, so I growing up on a farm, you just work. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's where it all starts. So, you know, I. Typically, I get into the office sometime around 6, 6 or 6.30 yep. uh, because it's the best time for me to get stuff done. Yeah, no one else is around. <laughs> yeah. don't ring. Yeah. <laughs> Emails can, aren't coming in. <laughs> I can read. I can catch up on emails. I can understand where the economy is and then when people come in. And then I think, so having said that, I think our culture is hard work mm. and um honesty or loyalty to people and I tr- and relationships. And I think yeah. that's what I want people to understand. And I try to do that through example. And so, and I think our culture overall is that way. We're not, um, I think people here feel like they can make a mistake and they're not going to be um, chastised or punished. Chastised yeah. or yeah. nobody's going to look down on them. We're going to try right. to teach them. Right. And, right. and not saying that there's, if you make a big enough mistake, something um, consequences. Yeah. yeah, There's not consequences, but our, we want our culture to be collaboration um, because this is a tough enough area. We go through different economies, different things. And there's, um, like I said, the younger people and even the new employees, they have, um, they have knowledge that maybe what some of us haven't thought about. Right. So we, we try to do collaboration. I learned this at Simplot. Um, so one thing I probably forgot to tell you is I right out of college or during my last year, I worked for Simplot, which was a, a big organization in the ag business. But oh, right. one of the things that they, he did very well is he was a very big on collaboration yeah. Um and his, believe it or not, even the farming fertilizer business, it was so important to have collaboration on how to do different things and work together. And so I learned that 
early on is that collaboration is important. Um, and, and where I was at, they even listened to me. Now, I'm not saying they, they took everything I said, but they <laughs> would take some of the things that, that maybe I'd learned in college or my experience. And I feel the same way that, look, we need to get information from team members around us uh, to be able to make those decisions. Now, ultimately, you know, the executive or CEO is going to make the final decision if he doesn't feel like it's the right thing. But I, I think it's important to gather information. And that's where our culture is, is that is that collaboration, letting other people um, be creative themselves yeah. and support them. Love it. What, what do you look for personally when you're uh, looking to invest in people that you uh, bring on and hire at big companies? Well, my staff's always going to say, if they grew up on a farm or from, and they're from Idaho, they're hired. <laughs> There's that immediate association, right? You know what they've been through, right? Yeah, so, it's, not a bad, it's not a bad strategy. Hiring after your own uh, background. I like that. Yeah. So I say that jokingly, but there is some of the, the traits that I think that come from that and, yeah. or, or an ex-athlete or a right. um, somebody that's uh, been a, f- a first generation student, but yeah. uh, some of those traits are there. I'm not saying everybody doesn't have that, but the, the thing that I look for is, and, and it's our culture here, it's that hungry, humble, and smart. Mm, and when hungry, I say humble, s- uh, the smart part comes from not um, IQ smart, necessarily, necessarily. Yeah, right. but smart how, how to deal with people. Um, and how to deal with team members and, yeah. and outside relationships. And so I think that for us as a company has, is what we instill. And we actually have a book that Patrick, Patrick Lenz, the only book that oh, we yeah. have all of our employees, our new hires, we give them a copy of it and ask them to read it. Which, which book is that? He's got so many it, good ones. It's called, um, I think it's called Hungry, Humble, and Smart. Hungry, Humble, and Smart. Yeah, right. Right now, exactly. It's so funny. I literally uh, on podcast just the other day, someone else brought up his name. He's he's such an amazing guy because he tells fables. He tells stories. Yeah, oh yeah, right. And so it's very easy to digest. I love it. Do you have yeah. a favorite interview question, Cam? That you use with uh, interviews? Um. I, yes, I I always ask him um, the, the relating to this how creative they are. Um, mm. and so something to, to related to their creativeness and, and their ability to think outside the box. And so it, it they may, it may vary, but I'll, right. I try to ask that because I, our company is about being creative and yeah. I yeah. think that's how we've had success here. A lot right. of times, I mean, taking the idea of, of buying residency and properties or losing their brand, um, I think it's a very creative idea, uh, especially with the affordable housing and, and right. with class A properties. Right. And our team just embraced that and helped try mm. to figure out how to make these things better. And so if you look at where we're at in investing in real estate, I think that creative part of yeah. the equation has to be in there along with hard work. And that's, that's just part of it. So right. cool. Well, we're just about out of time, but we always have one last question, Cam, that we ask all our guests. And that's, you know, what kind of uh, career and life advice should you give to someone who's maybe considering, uh, you know, their own corner office uh, location someday or, or perhaps an entrepreneur like yourself that wants to start a company? 
Well, what I wish somebody would have told me, and they probably <laughs> did, they probably did, and I probably didn't listen very well, <laughs> What's that? is that um, make sure you have, know what you're getting into from an experience and, and you're able to um, make the decisions based on some history and, uh, and apply that. And so as I say that, one of the things I wish I would have known is don't grow too fast because mm. you hear scale all the time. How do we scale? And if you don't have processes and procedures in place, it's going to be very, very difficult to scale. I always, I always say as you grow, as we grew, we were going down the road at 70 miles an hour and our wheels and our um, tires were coming off. And we were trying to put them right back on and figure out a process keep to put the them same on. speed. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. right. <laughs> and so it's, if, you know, hindsight, I wish that, you know, um, I would have had a little bit more experience in the growth of a company or somebody would have, right. and you hear it, you read it yeah, saying, yeah. look, here, we got to fix processes. You've got to have processes right. in place right. that people can just do and step in. Yeah. And, and we're getting there as a company. We're doing much better. It was just a challenge to, um, to get there where we're yeah. at. But yeah. that's the advice that I would give is make sure you have, listen if I didn't listen to mentors and get advice on putting processes and procedures in place um, and having the right team uh, make sure they execute on them. Sage Council. Cameron Gunter, CEO of Peg Companies, thank you so much for sharing your journey into the corner office. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Corner Office with Brant Hanley. We hope you enjoyed hearing our guest CEO story as much as we did. If you want to hear more CEOs reveal their journey into the corner office, please subscribe via iTunes and tell your friends and colleagues. For more information about Brant, Resource Options International, and the mighty middle market, visit www.go4roi.com. We look forward to having you join us for our next episode.